if you're engaging in the behaviors of numbing out, you know, if, if you're using alcohol or food or exercise or relationships to just like kind of run away from your feelings and quote unquote, take the edge off. If you're isolating and hiding out, meaning you don't reach out for help when shit hits the fan in your life. If you are perfecting or performing or proving, overachieving, self-sabotaging, all of those, that's that's the entire, my second book right there. That's, I wrote about all of those. If you are participating in those behaviors, like I'm raising my hand over here, then you are doing it in an effort to avoid shame. Bottom line. So essentially shame is running your life and you don't know it. And I think when I realized that I was like, Oh snap. (laughs) Welcome to the live your fuck yes life podcast. Your place for all things health, wellness, self-care, and real talk. I'm Amanda Catherine Loy, health coach, actor, and badass extraordinaire. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought with some serious real talk to help you find your passion, speak your truth, and get you one step closer to living your fuck yes life. Are you ready? Here we go. Hey, hey, you guys. Welcome to episode 45 of the podcast. I am so fucking pumped to bring to you guys today's amazing guest who has literally been on my dream like top list to have on this podcast. She has single-handedly changed my life uh, with everything that she teaches from her podcast to her books to just her presence online um, and has taken my perfectionist and overachieving ways and knocked them on the head. And I am just so freaking excited to welcome Andrea Owen on the podcast today. If you've been living under a rock and you don't know who she is, (laughs) um, it's okay. Um, But she is an author, mentor, professional certified life coach who specializes in help in helping high-achieving women let go of perfectionism, control, and isolation, and choosing courage and confidence instead. She is the proud author of How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness, and also 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, Your BS-Free Wisdom to Ignite Your Inner Badass and Live the Life You Deserve. She is seriously amazeballs. Um, She is a mom. Um, She competes in triathlons. She is also like a retired roller derby player, which is my fave thing on the planet. And through today's episode, we talk so many about so many incredible, incredible things. We talk about how to make friends as an adult because that shit is hard. And I know you guys have been really asking about how to even navigate that and where to start. So we really tackle that. Um, We talk about shame and the way it plays a part in all of our lives, how to break free from perfectionism. She talks about her journey to sobriety, um, a lot of stuff around positive self-talk and her favorite tools in her toolbox, self-care 101, and just where to start when you feel like your life is a fucking mess, aka something we all can relate to. So without further ado, here is today's episode. Let's do the damn thing. Hey, Andrea, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to be here, Amanda. Thanks for having me. I'm so pumped too. Um, And I have so many things I want to dive into you with. But before I do, I never do this, but I'm feeling really called to it. So I'm just listening to my gut as I always do. Um, I'm going to ask you some silly fun questions just to like get things going. I usually do this at the end, but I'm like, let's start now. So, okay. If you had to choose between cheese and chocolate for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Oh my God. That's like asking me to pick between my two children. It's like... You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say chocolate. Okay. I would pick the same. If you could be an animal for a day, what would you want to be? 
I would probably want to be one of those um, badgers. What are they called? The honey badgers that like, they're so seriously badass. They're like truly one of the most fearless animals ever. They don't give a shit. I would have never thought to pick that. That's such a unique choice. I would have been like elephant or an eagle. That's hilarious. Honey badger. I am definitely putting that down right now. That's what they're called. Let me Google it real quick. All right, stand stand by. If it's not the honey badger, we're we're fucked. It's the something badger. Yeah, it's the honey badger. Yeah, okay. and there's YouTube videos. Look it up and have a good laugh. Oh my god, I will find a YouTube video and put it in the show notes for you guys because that's just I feel like that's the best way to start this day. All right, something that's pissing you off lately. Oh my god, the patriarchy. Mm. <laughs> lately, <laughs> over the past three politics, years, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and what's something you are loving lately? Oh God, everything. Um, I I love this time that we're in for women, like speaking mm-hmm. up and finally having our time to just start this whole process of healing. Yeah. Love it. Okay. All right. So let's get into the the nitty gritty now. So I, for those of you who are listening and have no idea who Andrea Owen is, which by the way, if you don't, you're living under a rock and you need to be crazy, (laughs) Um, literally crazy because she's like changed my life and I'm so pumped to be talking to you right now. Um, If you could just like quickly deep dive into your, your story and really just like how you've gotten to where you are now. Um, I know it's a, a long ass story and you guys can listen to our podcast to hear all the like legit deets. But if you just want to give a quick summary of like who you are, what you do and, and how you've got here. Well, I'll start, I'll go in order of how you asked it, who I am. I'm Andrea Owen um, and I'm a mom and a business owner and life coach, mentor, educator, And I help women who are, all of you listening, and women Mm -hmm. who just are really struggling with a lot of behaviors like people-pleasing, perfectionism, performing, isolating and hiding out, numbing. And those are their default coping mechanisms. They don't know any other way. It's not their fault. And so I teach them better coping mechanisms and also how to navigate shame. I'm Mm -hmm. certified in the work of Dr. Brene Brown and the Coaches Training Institute. And how I got here is kind of a funny, not funny story. I was in the fitness industry before. That's what I went to college for and still love the industry. And about in 2003, I had discovered the career of life coaching. And I thought to myself, like, this is amazing. I was telling my now ex-husband, I think I could do this. This is, this is the raddest job profession ever in the world. But I think that somebody who would be really good at this would probably need a lot of life experience. And at the time I was in my let's see, then I was like in my early mid twenties and I was saying to him, you probably need a lot of life experience to be a really great life coach. And I don't have a whole lot of, uh, of that. Mm. Well, two years later, as he and I, we were married, we'd been together for 13 years at that point, we were discussing having our first child and he had an affair with our neighbor and got her pregnant and it was devastating. I mean, that's, I, there is not a word to describe mm-hmm. what that was like for me. And she was younger than I was. She was beautiful. It just, it, I, I basically got kicked out of this family that I had known since I was 17 years old and it was extremely traumatic. And then right after that, I did the thing that I should not have been doing. I started dating, met someone whom I thought was Mr. Right. Turns out he lied about everything. He fabricated a story about having terminal cancer to cover up his drug addiction. And I found out about nine months into our relationship, he had drained my bank account. He had basically conned me. I was conned and I was pregnant. Um, with his child. So that's really, it was my moment of like being on. And and meanwhile, my divorce was like still not final. I was Mm -hmm. still going through my divorce. I was on the ground on my apartment, like in the fetal position, 
thinking like, what the fuck am I, Hey, how did I get here? Yeah. And it was, I was 31 too. So it was like right around the time where all my friends were getting married and like having babies. I was like, fuck y'all. Like this is, this is the worst. Mm. It was, it was bad. So I changed my life and I know I'm very flippant when I say that, but it was a long process, but that's when I really decided, okay, how am I going to, I don't even I don't even know how to take care of myself. Like, Mm -hmm. of course I knew how to do laundry and things like that, but like emotionally and mentally and all of these things that I had to learn how to do. And that's really when it all started for me. Mm. Mm. Like your story literally gives me chills every time I hear you talk about it. Like every time. Sometimes when I tell it, I'm like, did that really happen to me? me?" Right. It feels like a whole (laughs) different lifetime. I just also wanted to say for all of you guys listening who are like, my life needs to be in order by the time I am 24 years old and I have to know what I want to do and know who I am. Like, did you not hear that Andrea just said she was 31 in the fetal position? Like, well, how the fuck did I get here? Right. So I was that girl too. I had everything planned out. I had bullet points per season. So it was Mm -hmm. like summer I was going to conceive. Then I knew exactly when I was going to have the baby. Like I had it all planned out, like color coded and everything. And then it all exploded in my face. Right. And I, I was the exact same way. And I mean, I think I had my come to Jesus or whatever moment like earlier on and I still am having them <laughs> I feel like they never end really no, let's be don't. honest um but Some like are more dramatic than others yes so. and you're on the fetal position and like crying in the shower and like literally asking yourself how you got here many of those have happened in my life um yes. yeah but like I think so I know so many of you are are sitting here or in your car or running or whatever the fuck you're doing right now which is trying to multitask a million times at once and listen to this like and you're you're asking yourself like okay like uh, how do I how do I get my shit together? And, and I think that we never really, really do fully. Um, and I think hearing that, like where you're at now, which is like fucking incredible. And you've done so many amazing things and you have a life that you're proud of. And I'm sure you also have a shit ton of stuff. That's hard. I know this shit ton of stuff that's hard and messy and, you know, like all the time. And it's just like challenging, but you picked yourself up. And you were, and you were not like 21 when that happened, right? Like you were 31 and still figuring it out and you're still figuring it out now. And I think we have this, this concept that we need to just like have our shit together by a certain point. And I know all you perfectionists are like, have this mapped out, like Andrea said, and I did, right. It's like, okay, by 27, I am going to be a successful blah and have this and know what I'm going to do with my career. And sometimes the answers are not that clear and not don't happen overnight and that's okay. So I just want you all to take a breath. And I hope that that like inspires you to know that you are not alone in that way. So Oh, so amazing. Okay. I'd want to touch on something because I know you've talked about this a lot specifically with reference to like what I like to call your like older, like your, your past life with your ex, um, before all the like craziness happened, but it's like Mm -hmm. you said you lost your family, but I also know that like you lost your friends and a lot of the people that you considered to be like your best friends, they just like overnight, you realize like they're not your people. And I know something that my listeners really struggle with is, is, a like navigating that transition out of like okay like these have been my friends since I was little but are they still my friends now as we like grow into ourselves and and you know past this the school process but even then it's like how do you make friends as an adult right like how does that actually happen um and how do you navigate that because I know that's something I personally have really struggled with until until I would say like the last couple of years so how was that process for you and and how have you kind of navigated finding friends as you've exited that time of your life? I think it's still, I, I still struggle with it. Like it's yeah. just, cause there's one thing, you know, the, the industry that I'm in, 
I'm fortunate enough to know people who, I mean, they're my soul sisters. It's sort of like already built in, you know, it's, I've, I've been lucky that, and that I have met these women online, but they're in different States. Some of them are in Canada. And so we have to figure out how to meet up with each other. But locally I have found that it's tricky because these are people who aren't in this industry and they don't kind of quote unquote, speak the same language that I do. They might not be interested in personal development like I am. And that's okay. That part has been, uh, more complicated. And so what a number one, it takes patience. Mm-hmm. I want things and I'm sure maybe your listeners are the same. Like I want things like yesterday mm-hmm. and I have found that I've really had to have patience when it comes to friendships and I have to be proactive. So what that looks like is, you know, so I, I grew I was born and raised in San Diego. My husband and I lived there. He's from there too, for 36 years, maybe 36 or 30, 37 years. And we moved. And I just assumed when we moved, like, I was just going to make friends and I would meet them. And I don't know, I wasn't really thinking it through. Yeah. So six months in, I had one friend and she was the girl that did my hair, which like, does that count? <laughs> it counts. It counts. My hairdresser is one of my best friends. She was my friend. <laughs> yeah. And, but, and, and I was like crying on the phone with one of my friends back home in you know, Southern California. And, and she's like, well, what have you done to go and meet anybody? And the truth was that I hadn't. Mm. So then I started to be proactive and like join groups and things where I, you know, thought I could meet people. And the first group I joined, like I thought they were my people and they ended up not being my people. And so it just takes patience and perseverance. And so like go to meetup.com, like go to your Facebook events where there's I mean, it's not brain science. It's just like dating. Like, mm-hmm. where do you go to meet people that you want to have an intimate relationship with? Mm-hmm. You might go to bars. Like, I don't recommend it, but <laughs> it does work out sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, you go places where there are possibilities. Like, it's the same thing with friends. And you have to, I think one mistake that we make a lot when we're trying to make women friendships is that we go in too much too soon. Mm. And, we're just dying for that friendship. And so we overshare and, you know, that's another conversation, but just navigating that and, and building trust as trust is built. I mean, Mm -hmm. we know from science that trust is built in small increments over time. That's one conversation at a time. That's sharing a little bit, allowing the other person to share things like that. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I, I also think, so something that I personally have found is that like finding friendships is, is less almost about other people and more about myself. I don't know. I'm sure that you can re- re- resonate with this in some way. Maybe, maybe you can't, but I feel like so often we go into attempting to find friendships without actually like becoming friends with ourselves. And I think I know from personal experience that like I made a lot of friendships uh, a few years back that were not really serving me and had qualities that were not what I needed or wanted in a, in a relationship, but I, mm-hmm. I was not in a place where I knew myself well enough to even acknowledge that. So do you feel like that's something that you've personally found, especially with your clients and stuff? And, and like, how would you, how would you recommend for someone who's like, okay, I don't know who I am. I think I do, but I'm not really sure. And I feel like I constantly attract like toxic friendships into my life. Like how do I get myself away from that cycle? Like, what would you say to that girl? I would say that you can do both simultaneously. You can work on yourself. Excuse me again. You can work on yourself and look for friendships at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be, you know, I don't care where you are in your personal development journey. You're going to meet some people who are shit. Just recently, I really liked the personality of this one particular woman in my community. And I 
thought, I even told my husband, like, maybe we should invite her and her husband over for game night and things like that. And then something happened and it was like this triangle of people. And I found out she threw me under the bus about something. And I was like, never mind. So it's like, I got out quick. Like I, I saw something that happened. Mm-hmm. I wasn't invested enough in the friendship to have a conversation with her about it. It just was a huge red flag. And I was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. And so it's, it's things like that. It's, it's a trusting your intuition, I, my intuition. And I was disappointed because I really liked her personality and, you know, she's fiery like me and yeah. it, it didn't work out. And so I, again, it's like, you can do it simultaneously, figure out what you want, figure out who you are. And at the same time, go out and look for friendships. I mean, you want to learn a lot about yourself, get into a relationship with someone. And that goes for romantic relationships mm-hmm. and friendships. You're going to learn a lot about yourself in relationship with other people. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> and sometimes there are things you don't yes. like. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and you're like, oh shit, I really need to work on that. It's time yep. to go to therapy. It's a mirror. Many times it's a mirror. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Oh, so like I know you talked a little bit about this in your um like sharing about your story, but the daring daring way and like Brene Brown and everything um that you've been like certified to work with that. I, I know that uh shame is something you talk about a lot and obviously mm-hmm. is something that um she like has researched for freaking forever. forever. <laughs> like what, mm-hmm. twenty years now? It's insane. Um but I I feel like it's something that you share about in a way that I've never seen anyone else on the internet talk about. Just like so many topics that most people would never dream of openly talking about. So I've always wanted to know, like, how how did you get to that place with yourself? And how do you feel like that's empowered you to, like, I don't know, show up differently in your own life? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I understand the question. And and if I'm not, then well, we please interrupt me and we can go in different directions. <laughs> the way I describe it is because Brene, I think, can God love her, but I think she can sometimes tend to be a little bit clinical. Mm-hmm. And when she speaks to therapists and social workers and coaches, people in the wellness industry, I think we get it right away. But there are, or if you like dive into her books, then you get it with a lot of explanation. But I think some people hear the word shame and they think, well, that's not me because I don't walk around feeling ashamed about my life. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm a shameful person. Well, neither am I. But mm-hmm. if you're engaging in the behaviors of numbing out, you know, if, if you're using alcohol or food or exercise or relationships to just like kind of run away from your feelings and quote unquote, take the edge off. If you're isolating and hiding out, meaning you don't reach out for help when shit hits the fan in your life. If you are perfecting or performing or proving, overachieving, self-sabotaging, all of those, that's that's the entire, my second book right there. That's, I wrote about all of those. If you are participating in those behaviors, like I'm raising my hand over here, then you are doing it in an effort to avoid shame bottom line. Mm. So essentially shame is running your life and you don't know it. And I think when I realized that I was like, Oh snap, (laughs) that's everybody, right? That's everybody, everyone listening. You do those behaviors in an effort to avoid criticism, to avoid judgment, to avoid ridicule, to avoid shame. That's what that is. Mm. And so when I realized that, because I mean, when I went to the training, the way that they trained us, I feel like it was torture. They had us go through the process and be trained on how to do it at the same time. I think that they were oh actually God. testing us kind of like peek behind the curtain. I think they were actually testing us to see how well we could self-manage because not everybody made it. Wow. And it was like this kind of push pull and like, here, tell us your childhood shame stories in front of 12 people. And we're going to shift over into like how to facilitate. Mm. So it was, you know, I 
I walked into that honestly thinking like, well, I've been doing this for a long time. Like I know my stuff, like total ego. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you what, Amanda, like that shit flipped me over, shook all the change out of my pockets. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, there's still more work to do. There's always more work to do. When you're talking about shame, it really is sort of that next level personal development. I don't really think everyone's ready for it. You know, I have a group program where I take people through this and I tell people like, this is, this is like master's level personal development work. Like start with the goal setting first yeah. and like inner critic. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you're ready, let's talk about this. Did I answer your question? Totally. And I think, I think that's really important to hear because I'm at a place now where I've like been consistently doing personal development for three years. And so going through that process for me feels like the next step in my own journey. But I know so many women come to me and are like, how do you share so openly? I want to get to that place. Like I want to deep dive and like rip open. And I'm like, slow down. Like, do you have the basics, right? Like, do you know how to talk to yourself? Do you like all these little things that I've learned, you know, through you, through amazing women that I've been like listening to in my earbuds, like constantly on repeat. But it's so funny. I just want to share it. So you talking about that experience, and I would love to hear a little bit more about what that actually was like, but it it reminded me so much of my process of going to school as an actor. So I feel like so often as an artist, especially when you're in in the acting industry, if you're going to school for it, whether it's a class or like a full conservatory program, like what I did, you are like expected at a very young age to be vulnerable in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think on one hand, it was very helpful because it allowed me to emotionally connect to myself in a way that I would have never known how to do, you know, in my early slash like late teens, like early twenties, like mm-hmm. crazy that I was, I think back and I'm like, how the fuck was I able to do that? But I feel like it's allowed me so much, um, so much like transformation early on in my life. But I also feel like in a lot of ways, doing that kind of work before you're ready can be quite, as you said, detrimental. So like, I I don't know, like, did you feel like, obviously you felt like you were ready for that because you had been doing this work. But when someone's like thrust into a situation like that, maybe they signed up for a group program that they weren't really ready for, or maybe they're in an acting class like I was, and they're being asked to do these things and they're not ready to share. How, how does that work? How, how, how would you suggest like navigating that? You know, like I, I feel like in some ways I'm grateful, but also I think back and I'm like, I would, that was too soon, you know? Yeah. Well, shame work is trauma work and you have to find a facilitator who is trained and and certified. I get really nervous when I hear people are working with people on shame and they have no credentials at all. Yeah. And, and I think also, I want to say this because my ears perked when you said you have people that say like, how do I get to the place where I can share as openly as you, what I do and what you do, like I go on my podcast and I talk about, you know, getting sober seven years ago and Mm -hmm. like really stuff that has stigma and shame wrapped around it. I don't think that's for everyone. Like you don't have to get a microphone and broadcast it, you know, from the rooftops. Mm -hmm. What my goal is for people that come to my programs is Brene says, you know, it's the right story to the right person at the right time. These are very few people in your life that you have established a trusting relationship with that you can share your shame stories with. Mm. I do not recommend going and just like posting it on Facebook, like this deeply shaming story, because that's not connection. People commenting and saying like, oh gosh, it'll get better. Like Mm -hmm. that's not real connection. Connection is when you tell someone 
someone your story. Like if you just shared with me something that happened, um, like you went on stage and just bombed and you just never want to go back to acting again. It was so humiliating for me to say like, that sucked girl. Mm -hmm. That sounds like it was so hard. And I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I'm so glad that you told me. That is connection, like serving up empathy and having someone truly hear you and see you is connection. And that's what we all want Yeah. rather than going and posting that on Facebook and then like constantly like looking to how many likes do I have? Like, do you know what I mean? Like there's a difference between that. And I think for some people who do share so openly for some, I think that we were just born with some gene that allows us like my mom is very outspoken. My sister's very outspoken. I think it just runs in my family Mm -hmm. and that's not for everyone. And I don't want anyone to think that there's something wrong with them or that they're wrong. Like it might just be your personality and that's perfect. That's perfect for you. Totally. I could not have said that better myself. And I feel like you're, you're, you're so right. Like I, I, I don't know if you've heard of the Enneagram, but like I'm like a, mm-hmm. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. And so am I. Girl, <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all. But you know, it's like I am meant to be a storyteller. Like that's why I act. That's why I do this podcast. That's why I go on my podium and talk like, you know, like and just share about my shit that matters because that's what I'm meant to do on this planet. But not everyone is meant to do that. And I feel right. like it can be so, you know, it's the comparisonitis bullshit that we go through as women. It's like, we see somebody else that we're attracted to their energy. We're like, oh, she's amazing. Like I want more of that in my own personal life, but she's doing all these things. And so you start to look at your life and go, oh, should I also be doing that too? Right. And it's this vicious cycle. And it doesn't, one is not better than the other. One is not wrong. You know, it's like, it's, you still could be more of an introvert or more of a shy person and you are making a difference and you're telling your story specifically to the people that matter in your life. That is just as impactful as someone going on a podcast and talking to hundreds of thousands of people. hundred percent, hundred percent. I could not, I could not agree with you more. So, okay. I know you talked a little bit briefly about, uh, your, your sobriety journey and stuff, which I, first of all, I just have to say that I'm so freaking in awe of your journey and, and talking about that as openly as you are, because you're right. There is such a stigma and shame attached to even talking about it openly, right? Like AA is such a thing that we know about, but we don't know what happens behind closed doors and that at all. And I just think you've, you've opened that door along with many, many others, but you've opened that door specifically in such a beautiful way. Could you share a little bit more about that process for you? And, and, um, like, I don't know, and how, how you got to where you are now, if someone may be struggling with that, who is listening and and doesn't really know where to go. Well, it's interesting. You know, I think it's a very interesting time that we're having this conversation. It's 2019. And in my, in that world of addiction, there's a new conversation happening, especially when it comes to drinking about removing the label of alcoholic and, and sobriety has become kind of a trend now, Mm. which I'm kind of like, "Eh," but at the same time, like, yay, because it's, people are just doing it for wellness reasons and really understanding how that alcohol is poison for our bodies and for our brains, especially if you struggle with anxiety or depression, read the book, uh, The Naked Mind by Annie Grace, because mm-hmm. it talks all about the brain science of what actually happens to us when we drink alcohol. But there's this whole movement of what's called gray area drinking or alcohol-free instead of sobriety slash recovery slash alcoholism. And I'm, I really struggle with this, honestly, Amanda, because like there's part of me that's like, no, I want to 
I want to still have the word alcoholic and let's work on removing the fucking stigma from it. Jesus Christ, you know? But instead what I'm seeing is this movement away from the word and more kind of like softer words around it, which I'm kind of like throw my hands up. I'm like, whatever. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that that because nobody wants to be an alcoholic? (laughs) Sure. It's hard to admit that to yourself. I can't wait to grow up and be an alcoholic. Yeah, Yay. right. Yeah. No, but like if you call yourself like a gray area drinker, people are like, what's that? It's like, well, I'm not an alcoholic, but I have a, you know, I don't have a great relationship with alcohol or alcohol makes me blah, 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 blah. But, you know, anyway, that's another conversation for another time. But because mm-hmm. uh, I identify as an addict, I started in my teens. I was a severe codependent. I, you know, I, I was a love addict. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what it is, Google it. Basically, like we we look to, we become obsessed with the people that we're dating or in relationships with. We're obsessed with fixing the relationship, fixing the other person. And we're also addicted to the intensity and the chaos Mm -hmm. of relationships. And that was my life for a long, long time. And then also I was in and out of an eating disorder. And what's interesting is around the time I was about 30, 31, I got help for those things. It was great. I did 12-step programs, really jumped into personal development. And that was right around the time that my drinking picked up speed very quickly. And it was also when my kids were, I was pregnant and I wasn't drinking, but then as soon as they were born, I was even nursing and I was like, where's the bottle of wine? And I was, I was up to about, I remember the first time I drank an entire bottle of wine one night by myself, like on a Tuesday, it was like no special occasion. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't think that that's very good. (laughs) You know, like there was that whisper of like, Hmm, this might be a problem. And my dad got sober when I was 18. So I knew what a quote unquote high functioning alcoholic was. And I, and it was really only a matter of a handful of months before I had to get really honest with myself and say, okay, I know where this is headed. And if you do identify as an alcoholic, then try as you might, you will not get better. You know, we try so many, we try rules and like, I'm only going to drink on the weekends. I'm only Mm going to drink wine. I'm only, you know, going to stand on my head with a straw and drink like all these different ways (laughs) to try to drink like a quote unquote normal person. And we cannot, you know, just real quick for anyone listening who might really struggle in this way is that here's the differentiator. Cause people always ask me, even my husband asked me, he's like, can't you just have one? Like, of course I can have one. Like I can, and then I'll have one. And then the whole time I'm going to be thinking about having another one. So it's this obsession that we have with drinking or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, Mm -hmm. maybe it's food or, or whatever. My life revolved around it. You know, if we were going to the movies, I would always make sure and pick a place that had a really great bar ahead of time for the, for the, for dinner so I could fuel up enough, you know, and it's like I would yeah. make sure to drink two or three glasses of wine before we left for date night. And it was this constant inventory of booze and my buzz that was it fucking sucks. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's a, vicious the, cycle. it's a terrible way to live. Like it just, and I knew I had to get sober and lucky for me, I, I had some friends who had years of sobriety so I could tell them. And it's funny. I have my one friend, she'd been sober for like 10 years and I thought she was going to like gasp when I told her, I think I need to get sober. I think I have a problem. And she was like, okay, like, it's totally right, no big yeah. deal. That's amazing. And, and I got sober and I've been sober for seven years. And it was amazing. I'm seriously so proud. And like, 
I as I don't resonate from like the alcoholic standpoint personally, but I have years of of a long history of binge eating, mm-hmm. and like you're right, like for the and it's I I resonate with you being frustrated about you know the the, the alcoholic versus what you say gray area drinking gray area drinker yeah, yeah problem drinker like I think I personally for the longest time was like well like I just I struggle with food instead of literally calling it what it was which was I am a binge eater mm-hmm. and like I think once I was able to admit that to myself because I was doing exactly that numbing myself out with food and I just like was I could not stop it just it would not end and I knew that I needed to make a change and the minute I actually voiced that to myself it was like okay like I need to get help and I need to talk to somebody who is like well-versed in how to navigate this. And I need to not have these foods that are my trigger foods in the house anymore because I will just sit. And I still, still know that about myself while I've recovered recovering. I don't also know that it's a process, a constant process. And like, I cannot keep certain foods, you know, like tortilla chips or like fucking tortilla chips and salsa. That is like the worst or fucking like Oreos, like anything like on the Yes, it's I the, swear we live parallel lives. Yes, chips and salsa and Oreos. <laughs> and forget like, it. I will just like consume it until it's gone. And like my husband knows that. Like we just don't keep them in the house because just don't have it in the house. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I know myself, and that doesn't mean that I'm a failure. That uh, that I have to like pr- you know that means I'm pr- creating boundaries for myself, and that I've acknowledged that this is something I struggle with, and I need to really work on healing that for myself. So I just think that that's I resonate so strongly, and I think that. So many women I know and so many of you listening have things that you do to numb out, whether it's you work too much, right? Or you are in a toxic relationship and that helps you numb out. Um, or you, you know, like overexercise or mm-hmm. you're, you know, using alcohol, whatever it is, like well, this is not a hey, you should feel bad that you're doing this, because this is something that every single woman I've ever met yeah. suffers with in some way. But this is saying like, hey, think about it. Get curious with yourself and ask yourself like if this, if this is how you actually genuinely want to show up with yourself every day and talk to one person. Like you said, like share it with somebody who you trust in your life. Um, that's what I did. And it immense. I mean, it, it was a slow journey, but it immensely helped me get the ball rolling. So, yeah. For sure. And it's, it, it's tricky because I always tell people like, you're going to, you know, I have people in my group classes when they, they come to one of the calls and they're like, wah, wah. So I numbed out this week. It was really hard. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like you got to work on practicing self-compassion mm-hmm. because we all do it. And what I want the win to be for people is that you catch yourself quickly. And if you're like, I had the worst day I need to, I'm going to watch this entire, I'm going to binge on, you know, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I think everyone should. I just started watching that show. It's so good. It's so good. I did not expect it to be that good. All right. Sorry. It's not what I expected. (laughs) No, not at all. But I just, I think I, you know, just put a container around it. And if, if, because there's a fine line between self-care and numbing out, Mm. and that's what I teach people to learn how to do in their life. And so that, you know, once you've sort of crossed that kind of fuzzy line, sometimes flag gets raised and you know, to back out. And that's how I live my life. Mm. Like I'm very open and tell people like, I still numb out. Everybody does. Brene still even talks about how she does. And it's just, it, we're just humans at the end of the day for fuck's sake, for fuck's sake, give yourself a (laughs) because I work with a lot of overachievers and it's very all or nothing. Like Mm -hmm. either I don't numb out at all Mm -hmm. or I completely fly off the handle and just like dive into the Oreos. Like, no, 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 no. 
what is the middle ground for you? And that's what I help people find. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it just, it goes more to also your message of like the, you know, having it all together, quote unquote, right. And being this like perfect version of yourself who doesn't do all the things that you, you shouldn't do, right. That have not been prescribed to you versus like being a work in progress and owning that and, and that being okay for the rest of your life. Right. Like uh, that we are human and that we are not constantly going to be these like quote, perfect versions of ourselves because that doesn't even exist. And once we can acknowledge that and live somewhere in the middle, um, and, and like you said, find tools, um, that will help us, you know, navigate that process in a way that's kind and compassionate. That's when the magic happens, or at least that's when I found the magic happens. It is. No, you're right. And I like to see people's lives like a candy cane, like both like red and white, Mm. like the, the dark and the light and just, you know, the hard and the great, because I don't trust people that, put out this persona where like everything's always great. I kind of just like slowly back out the door. I'm like, that can't be right. You're wrong. Everybody's a hot mess sometimes. I want to see yours. Mm -hmm. I love that, that visual though, because I think it also makes me think about your two, like your two books, because like your 52 ways to live a kick-ass life. You read that title and you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be amazing and empowering. And like, I'm going to get all the perfect tools. And then like your more recent book, which is like uh, pretty much like when we're recording this, it's been like a year since it was released. Mm -hmm. Right. But how to stop feeling like shit is like the inverse, right? You're like, I'm a mess and I need to stop this. Right. So it's like, I think it's so amazing that both of them ultimately like they are your tools and like the things that you would I'm sure share with your clients but also just like what you you've learned in your many many years of experience and all of this but I think exact map of of the journey not only with myself but even more so watching my clients because my first book Mm -hmm. I wrote that two years into launching your kick-ass life and so I was still very much like a sort of like a Rachel Hollis like you can do it you're amazing here are some tools which I think is great. And that's what people need a lot of time. It's sort of like an intro to personal development. Mm-hmm. And then as the years progressed, I kept seeing the same patterns over and over again with my clients. And I have, I'm like, I've got to speak to this. Mm-hmm. And so that is how to stop feeling like shit. So it really is an homage to all of my amazing clients from over the years. I love that. Okay. So, so speaking of that, like all in your books and just in life and your podcast, everything, like you share so many things and tools and all these things, but it's like, I feel like I I know, I know I personally, I preach a lot of things that I know have helped me or or help my clients. And I know are amazing self-care tools. And then I don't always practice them, right? It's like, or I pick a few ones that I love and that I practice myself. So I'm curious, like of all the things that you talk about, topics that you talk about, like habits, tools, what do you actually use on the daily that helps you either stop feeling shit or, you know, as you say, live a kick-ass life? Yeah, I think there's a lot. I think, you know, for me personally, it's become such a fluent language that I don't really have to think about them anymore, but for sure, the very first thing that I worked on diligently that has helped me, I mean, that has truly changed my life. And I do not use that term unless I really mean it mm-hmm. is self-talk. Mm-hmm. And I remember where I was sitting the very first time I learned, you know, I was in coach training and they were talking about it. And I was like, wait a minute, hold up. You mean <laughs> that voice that tells me I'm not good enough? Mm-hmm. Like that's like, I can manage that. Like that's not my truth. Mm-hmm. And it, like I'm a brain science nerd. I love oh my God, I me love too. learning about how our brains actually work when it comes to shame, when it comes to neural pathways, all of these things. And that's really what it is. It's creating new neural pathways. You know, your brain gets used to the same thoughts over and over again. Mm-hmm. I'm such an idiot. How could I have been so stupid? I always pick terrible guys to be in relationships with. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible with money. I'm never going to get out of debt. Like all of that shit. That's 
trained, like you have trained your brain to think those thoughts. And so for me, it was just, I mean, where it starts is just a pattern interrupter of like Mm -hmm. recognizing when you do it. And what I have found happens a lot with my clients in doing this work is that they will have certain areas of their life that it's harder to retrain than others. Mm. Or for instance, I have a woman in my group program who just switched jobs. And so now she was, you know, she was really, really great at her other job. She switched departments and is now the student again, and she's having a really hard time. And so my encouragement to her is like, have self-compassion. You basically are kind of starting starting over and you have to really be diligent about, you know, the first step is massive self-awareness is knowing quickly when you are in those rabbit holes of negative self-talk. And then what I tell people to do is just acknowledge it. I'm Mm -hmm. not a huge fan of positive affirmations. I think they're unrealistic for people to practice a and believe Mm -hmm. because our brains just they're just too smart. Our bullshit yeah. meters like, are like, you. Mm. what do you mean? Yeah. Totally confused. <laughs> I'm living my best life. Are you though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm actually not. So recognize it and acknowledge it because my friend Kate says our, our inner critic is basically just fear. That's a really bad communicator. So don't mm. beat the shit out of it. You don't have need to that. bully the bully, put the baseball bat down for a second and just acknowledge it with like a mantra that says like, Oh, there you are. Oh, Hey, you're back. Or Mm -hmm. I always tell myself like, well, that just happened. If I find myself really where I get stuck is like any kind of compare and despair. Yeah. Um, and so then it's about having self-compassion. So there's, there's a, there's a navigation, you know, there's a map, if you will, of how to do that work. And so I never want to just like spit it out that that's what I do and have people think that they're doing it wrong because they can't have positive self-talk all the time. So that's one thing that I do on the regular. And then also what's been totally life-changing and something I've learned in Brene's work is knowing what your triggers are and more specifically what your shame triggers are. Mm. Because now I know like when my husband and I get into an argument and he leaves. Now we've had a conversation where he doesn't do that anymore because it's such a trigger for me. But you know, I use this example because it was he's such a huge trigger for me when he would like when we're in the middle of an argument and he's like, I can't with this conversation anymore. And he'll just like get in the car and drive away. Walk out. Yeah, yeah. Really, yeah. all he's doing is like, I need a break. Yeah, I process. That's how he processes. Yeah. That's how he does it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I go down into like the planning out my life as a single mom. I'm like, he's leaving me. This is it he's probably been having an affair. Like, mm-hmm. how could I have been so dumb? Here it goes again. Like, and I can't stop myself. It's like, it's a runaway train. Mm-hmm. And now I know that that is a massive trigger for me. Mm-hmm. And so I immediately have self-compassion and look at the reality of it. Did he tell me he wants a divorce? No. Has he given me any clues that he might be leaving me? No. Mm-hmm. Is this just an argument? Yes. So it's, um, those are the two probably biggest things. And there's a lot of ancillary tools too, but those are probably the two biggest. I think, but I think they're all wrapped up in one big thing, which is curiosity. Right. And I think that's my favorite. It's, Mm -hmm. it's me. It's mine too. And I, I, the, the thing you talked about your inner critic or inner shit talker, however you want to say it. Like I recently have started naming mine, which made a really big difference to the way I speak to her. That can be helpful for people. Yeah. And and I don't want to prescribe anything, obviously, but like maybe try it out and see if it works for you. Like my, my shit talker's name is Janine and she and Mm -hmm. I sometimes have some really, really rough convos. Um, but you know, ultimately like she's still a part of you. And I think, Mm -hmm. I think for the longest time, I I would hear this term like, okay, well, she's my inner critic, which means she's not a part of me. She's like the the fear talking and that's not me. That's, you know, I have to like beat that down. And I think what you said about like not taking a baseball back to it, but just getting curious and compassionate with that voice 
is so powerful because I think so often we're, we we think that that's not us, but it's like, no, 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 that's still a part of you. Mm-hmm. And those are your fears talking. And that's something to get curious about so that you can genuinely show up for yourself in a way that's going to empower you. Right. And, and same with, yeah. with your triggers, like just getting to know yourself, right. Which I feel like, I don't know when I, before I started my personal development journey, before I started listening to you and like really, really fully doing the work as I, as I say, like I thought I knew myself, right. Mm -hmm. I had all these prescribed ideas of who I was and what I wanted and the things that were important to me, but I never really did the work to know those things. I never asked questions to myself, if that makes sense, you know? Um, and I personally have found that that has been really helpful through journaling and just, you know, getting some really amazing journaling guides that have helped me ask the right kind of questions and, and surrounding myself with mentors like yourself and, and a bunch of other incredible women um, and, 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 and motivational speakers and, and stuff like that that have just really, really helped arm me with tools that have genuinely helped. But I feel like so many of my audience, my people who are listening and and literally like okay, like, I don't really know where to start. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, you're telling me to talk to myself kindly. You're telling me to get curious, but like, how do I even ask those questions? How do I know where to start? Which obviously get Andrea's books. That's a great place to start. (laughs) But like from, from your standpoint, like if you're coming at it fully without like having done any of this work, where do you even begin to like know where to go because it can feel so daunting and overwhelming right to enter into that space but you're like I genuinely want to want to learn I genuinely want to like figure out who I am and 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 take those chances like how do you even start I have a few places I tell people to start first and foremost I say go to therapy and work on your family of origin because I don't care if you're 20 or 40 or 60 if you have not worked on your family of origin shit, which Mm. we all have, Mm -hmm. then you're bringing that into your relationships, either knowingly or unknowingly. So do that. Go find a really great therapist. Um, Try to get a referral. I actually have a podcast episode where I talk about like how to find a great therapist and how to get the most out of it. Start there. And then also kind of at the same time, like any addictions that you have, get help with that first because you can't see the forest beyond the trees if you are really stuck in that kind of behavior. I mean, And I know that from experience. (laughs) (laughs) That's a number one. And then from there, I tell people to work on their Mm self-talk and also get really, really clear on their values. I don't do a group program without starting with values. I think it's absolutely, and it's actually the very last chapter of my second book. And I really went back and forth with like, should I put it in the front or should I put it at the end? And it once you are clear on what's important about the way you live your life, like what's truly important to you, mm-hmm. then you have a map. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and I don't really give a shit about like what I say in my book is like naming your values is like naming your children and calling that parenting. It's mm-hmm. not like you have to know specifically if you have a value around courage, Amanda, like what I would ask you is, okay, what does that look like when somebody, um, says something that's really offensive to you. If you, you know, or someone like steals your work or Mm -hmm. what does that look like on the ground level? What does that look like? Your values of integrity or honesty or family or faith or service or whatever it is. Don't just tell me what they are. Tell me what they mean. Yeah. And that will tell you a lot because most of the time we have maybe a couple of values that we're honoring on the regular, but we have values that we aspire to. Like we really want to live a courageous life, 
but we are really poor at boundary setting and, you know, all the things that actually courage looks like. And so that will give you a map of where to go next. Mm -hmm. Okay. So do you value courage, but you can't set a boundary to save your life? Then you need to work on communication. So that's just, again, it's kind of, it's a really great jumping off point. Totally. And I love that you also talked about values and then using those values to set boundaries in your life, right? Because I feel like that's something you guys really struggle with. I know this because I do too. Um, But like, I think I thought I used to think for the longest time that a boundary was like a negative thing. You know, it was like, well, I'm not allowing, you know, it's like I'm setting this up. bad reputation. Right. But I don't I don't get that because, well, I don't get that now. I get that. I got that before, but I don't get that now because I have literally boundaries saved my life all the time. Like if I didn't have boundaries, I would like be back into my people pleasing, like taking on way too many projects, things, opportunities, everything. Like I would be a hot ass mess more than I am now. Right. And it's like boundaries are so key, but knowing how those play into your values is such I just need to like hone in on that for a second because that is such a key thing and it can be as simple as okay I have a value of honesty and when I see somebody being dishonest to me I say I'm not willing to have this conversation with you until you can show up in a space that is honest and that's Mm -hmm. a boundary you set and it's it can be that simple as a way that you respond right like which honesty is one of my biggest values. So I use that as a personal example and one that I try to uphold every day. And of course, again, it's not about being perfect all the time because sometimes you let your boundaries slip and I yeah. do that all the time. So just like raising my hand, I'm, I'm owning up to that. But I just think having that completely like work together is so huge. So thank you for saying that because that is like, I think that if there's anything you take away from this today, it's that if you get clear on what you want and what's important to you and start setting boundaries attached to that, like so much of your life can change very quickly. So I love that. Okay. I feel like I could talk to you for fucking ever. And so many, like, I just like, I feel like I need to take a deep breath, like breathe in Amanda. Seriously, you, you are so incredible. And I just, I just need to like take a second to personally just like thank you for your work because it has single-handedly like I'm going to cry. It has single-handedly changed my own life and my own trajectory from a self-care standpoint, from uh, a courage, courageous standpoint and like owning my confidence and just being willing to be my weird ass self. Like I genuinely thank you for showing up as honestly as you do in the space that you do um, because it has changed. Like I literally like put everyone's like your podcast into everyone's ears and like your books into everyone's hands because they've changed my life. And I just think that that is such a testament to who you are and the work you do. So thank you for that. Um, And before we officially hop off, this is a question I always ask all of my amazing, amazing interviewees, interviewers. um, And that is, what does it mean to you to live a fuck yes life? Oh my God. You got, you know, like 30 minutes. I think <laughs> for me having grown up with such a fierce personality, but yet our culture and our world told me to tone it down. Mm. Um, you know, I didn't know. I think it really sort of like came to a head when I was probably 13 and, and, um, I heard a podcast recently where there was a, a psychologist talking about, I forget what he calls that age for girls. And basically like, that's where we, subconsciously learn to appease and to be quiet. Tone down. And, um, exactly. And I started crying when I, when I heard that I cried for my 13 year old self because mm-hmm. that, that was me. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it wasn't until much later in my life where I was like, 
you know, flipping tables and like, fuck this. And then also had to really grieve that that was traumatic for, for me. And that's what this particular psychologist was talking about. And that's why I, um, was so hit by it and and was like weeping Mm -hmm. because he said, you know, you're, you're, he said, he said, girls have to, and he was talking about boys too, because there's this whole other thing that happens to boys too. So it's not just girls, but, but we have to, what he calls have ourselves, H-A-L-V, H-A-L-F, cut part of ourself off. And I think that, you know, having a daughter myself, she's nine and, um, realizing I'm like, I will not tolerate that anymore. Mm. And it's now my job and my mission to help women heal who also have had that. Cause I, I have yet to meet a woman <laughs> who hasn't had that happen to her. Yeah. And sometimes they figure it out sooner than others. And some women it's, you know, not until much later in life, like midlife or beyond before they realize that that's happened to me. So if you can get to a place where you know that that's happened to you and realize that there are parts of you that are just dying to come out. And that is, if you can learn how to navigate that, then that is living a fucking yes life. It's just really just being unapologetic for who you are. It's like things like, you know, talking about sex and money and um, do whatever you want. If you want to have like a lot of sexual partners, then fuck yes. Like do that. Like mm-hmm. those types of things that we are shamed for mm. that, uh, that it's, it's my life's mission to, to help women give themselves permission to do whatever the fuck they want in a healthy way for them. Mm. Oh my gosh, Andrea, I'm like bawling my eyes out over here. <laughs> like <laughs> everything you said just hit home so hard. It's so crazy that you use the word unapologetic too. Cause that was my word of the year last year. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I finally have emerged from that girl, you know, like, I feel like I spent so much of my life doing what you exactly what you just said. And Mm -hmm. I know so many of you can relate. It's like, you don't have to be ashamed of showing up as your loud, bold, brash self. It's that, and you also yeah. don't have to be ashamed of showing up as your introverted, you know, more sensitive. Exactly. Like there's, there's no negative side. There's no, you know, it's, it's you and it's owning that full potential. Like that's where you found your, find your power. It's your wildness. And like your wildness might look different than mine, but somewhere along the way we have killed and buried her. Mm -hmm. And like that to me, you know, it's just, it's like, I, it's, it's going to be tricky navigating that with my daughter, um, living in this culture, but it's, it's really at the same time, I'm simultaneously bringing my wildness back to life that Mm -hmm. I killed and buried along the way. So yeah. Mm. I can't I wait to watch you navigate that with her. Cause no, I feel thank like you. wait until 2019. Yeah. <laughs> such a beautiful, like, I feel like it'll be such a beautiful parallel for your own life too. You know, like getting to share that with a kid. I can't even imagine what that's like. So, ugh, so many feels. Um, all right. So obviously I will put all this in the show notes, but where can all of my listeners connect with you and get to know your work more and all that jazz. Best place is yourkickasslife.com. And I love hanging out on Instagram. Um, same handle, yourkickasslife. Perfect. Thank you so much, Andrea, for your heart and for just sharing your shit. Always. I am so honored to have this convo and just so grateful that you exist in this life for real. Well, thank you, Amanda. I've, I've loved this conversation. You have so much energy and you're a great podcaster. And thank you to all the listeners too. I know how important and valuable their time is. And so that they've shared it with us is just, I'm very, very grateful. Oh, yes. 
And there you have it. Thank you so much, Andrea, for coming on the podcast. And for everything we talked about today, be sure to check out the show notes. You can either just scroll on your uh, iPhone or whatever the fuck you're using, um, or you can head over to amandacatherineloy.com. That's Catherine with a K, like koala, uh, forward slash podcast, forward slash 45. And until next week, I will see you guys on the flip side. Have an balls week. I love you guys so much. Bye-bye.